Unpopular opinion, but unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. You're listening to Unpopular Opinion, a podcast for professionals from all walks of life who want to hear success stories from innovators who've won by taking the path less traveled. In each episode, recovering journalist and content marketer Ashley Amber Saba interviews individuals who have prospered thanks to their genuinely unpopular opinions, despite warnings from naysayers, threats to their careers, and colossal obstacles. All rebels are welcome. Welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I'm your host, Ashley Ambersava, and this episode is brought to you by my friends at Audience Ops. Audience Ops is a content marketing agency, and they produce every episode of my show. If you're looking to launch a podcast for your brand or for your business, please let me know, and I will hook you up. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Lindsay McGuire, Associate Director of, Director of Content and Campaigns at Goldcast and fellow Mizzou J School alum. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Hey, Ashley. Excited to be here. Oh, me too. Um, And I cannot wait to get into your hot take today, your unpopular opinion, which is you can have it all. You just have to have the right people, resources, and mindset to do it. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about how you develop that mindset in your professional and personal life and what kind of experiences that helped you shape that belief. Yeah, you know, I think being a kid of the 90s, we were all kind of told like, you can be anything you want to be, right? And like, you can achieve your dreams. And, you know, we had role models like Michael Jordan, who, you know, the, the famous story of like, he didn't even make his high school basketball team. And now look at him. And I think just the atmosphere we were in allowed me to be able to like, think that I could do anything that I wanted to do. And I had parents that definitely supported me in anything I wanted to do and believed that you should at least try, right? Like not everything's going to work out. Not everything's going to be perfect. You are not actually at the end of the day going to get everything and achieve everything, but you can damn well try, right? (laughs) So I think it's just part of the age that I grew up in. And then also just the pieces of my personality. I've always been incredibly driven, incredibly ambitious. I've always wanted to do like all the things. And to me, it never seemed like I couldn't do all the things. And maybe it's just something innately within me, right? I don't know. Um, I've had lots of people approach me over time of like, how do you do all the things you do? And how do you have time for all these things? And because I am very multifaceted, right? I'm a full-time tech worker. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a friend. I'm a board member all of these things. But I think it's just something innately within me that says like, why can't I, right? Like, why can't I, why do I have to like move things here or shift things here? And and why can't I just try to have it all? And I think over the last few years, I've made the realization like it is possible. And exactly like you said, you just have to have the people and the processes and the resources and the mindset to be able to pull it off. And I think of all those components, having the people might be the most difficult. It's important about who you have in your life and what they're doing in your life. I think they have a huge impact on being able to get there. Yeah. And of course, for every person, it's going to be different. And some people are going to have this in spades and some people are not going to have it almost at all, really. And for me, I'm one of those ones who is is very limited on it because my husband and I live thousands of miles away from our families. So my parents are living eight hours away from me right now. His parents are down in Florida. I'm from Indianapolis, so very far away. 
Uh, we don't have any siblings or relatives or any family within, you know, an eight hour radius of us, which is wild to think about. And so for me, I definitely do lack that area, but because I lack that area, then I am able to focus more on my friendships and my relationships and my colleagues. And those are the areas that then I can fulfill where maybe a traditional like family would come into play. And I think too, it, it depends on your experiences and who you are. Like I am an only child. Um, I did have a half brother, but he was 21 when I was born. We lived on opposite coasts. He passed away in 2010. So I, I technically classify myself as an only child. And I think that's also played into this ability to build that village that isn't actually my family. It's just my friends and my colleagues, my coworkers and people like that. But because I've always been an only child who had to rely on myself and, and rely on pretty much myself and my parents, I'm able to see the worth and the value of focusing on others and like building those relationships. And sometimes maybe in ways that people might build their relationships with their siblings, like, I don't know, I've got siblings, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you catch everybody up on your background? Yeah, sure. So if you want to go way back, like Ashley said, I have a degree in journalism, Originally thought I wanted to be a broadcast uh, journalist, uh, got to the station, realized, wow, this vibe is kind of wild. And I don't want to wake up at like 4 a.m. for 5 or 6 a.m. news. So I pivoted. I went into um, strategic communications, thinking I was going to work at like an ad agency, be a copywriter. I actually freelanced in magazine for about five years on my own. My first in-house role was at a credit union, actually the largest credit union in Alabama, was there for a few years. Um, then my husband, who was at the time in medical school, relocated us to Indianapolis for his residency. We got really lucky. He got his number one choice, which doesn't happen a lot. Um, so very happy and pleased um, after living in the South, came back to the Midwest. Great time. Um, and then at that point in time, I joined the team at United Way, was there for a few years. And then that is when I made my transition into tech. Within all the roles I've worked, I've always been in content. I've always been a writer. I've always been focused on creative assets, written assets, and things like that. And now I am at Goldcast, which is a digital events platform, um, and running not only their content, but also their high-level campaigns as well. So there's kind of a little snippet of kind of who I am on the professional side. Can you share a few examples of where having that tight network of people, that community around you has had a significant impact on your ability to achieve a goal? Sure. I mean, I can use a really relevant one. Um, so, and I guess this could be also tied into your unpopular opinion. If you go way back when I was young and you could say maybe even dumb, um, <laughs> I didn't think networking was a, was important, right? Like I thought it was all BS. I was very much of the mindset of like, well, if you have the skills and you have like, you know, the proof is in the pudding kind of vibe. And I just felt like if my portfolio is strong enough and I've done the work and I can show I've done the work, like I don't need a network, right? Like I had all those kind of silly thoughts in my head. And I think it took me a while and it took me moving extensively um, over a couple of years with my now husband to show me like that network is so important, right? And that can open so many doors for you. And I remember when we were moving from Alabama to Indianapolis, 
I didn't know anybody like zero. Nobody didn't know a cousin of a half brother of a sister of anybody like, and nobody I knew, nobody, anybody either. And so I came here with absolutely zero connections. And it took me so long to reestablish myself, to get my life up and running, to get the things I wanted. And I think that really like made me have the realization of like, oh shit, like networking actually does matter and you need to know people. And ever since my mindset around that has shifted, I mean, all aspects of my life have changed. Um, So two instances right now. So um, at my previous organization, I actually was part of a 40% reduction staff, a huge layoff. They laid off 130 of us. I was very fortunate that one of my network associates, one of my colleagues, I love Chelsea over at Terminus, she was talking to Justin Adrift, who was talking to Kelly at Goldcast. uh, And then Chelsea reached out to me saying, hey, I know this great role it's opening up. I think you'd be a perfect fit for it. Here's the info. If I had not had that connection to Chelsea and built that relationship with her over the last two or three years... I never would have known that role was on the market. Like, I don't think it had ever crossed my mind, even though I was a Goldcast user and lover and customer, like it never crossed my mind to go look at their career page, like lesson learned, right? But without that opportunity, I would not be where I am today. And I could still be jobless, honestly. Like we all know how hard the job market is right now and how much of a struggle it is to get a job. And so having this part of my life be an important part and me making the realization that I was incorrect of like networking doesn't matter um, and being able to pivot on that and, and feeling comfortable with it too, right? Like networking can feel icky and gross and weird and just not good. And there are a lot of poor ways to go about it and honestly, like shitty ways to go about it. And so if you can figure out the ways that are natural to you and are, are ways to help you and help them and make like those communal relationships. Like that's a game changer. And then another example of that is I've been talking to a marketing agency owner here in Indianapolis, who's like kind of becoming my mentor. And she tagged me in an IBJ article the other day, or like um, a uh, news, news producer, news writer, who's working on an article looking for sources for XYZ. She knew I had experience with that. She tagged me on it. And I actually have a photo shoot with them this afternoon for the story. So, wow. you know, like, yeah, yeah, look at your face light up. <laughs> you know how that goes. <laughs> that is, do you, I like, do you ever think back to the time when we were in college and they, LinkedIn was talked about building it, but they told you, don't connect with people that you don't know. No. <laughs> like, wow, like what a change has happened. <laughs> I mean, wow, we are really aging ourselves with that comment, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking about the fact that they're like you, they told you to build it, but basically only add people that you already know, which is not networking at all. When you think about it, like my you life know, has changed by not following that. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I really hadn't thought about that in a really long time, but it is so true how much And maybe that was part of like why I had the thinking I did, because it wasn't only my own thinking. It was some of the things that we were being told in professional environments, in our schooling environment. Um, Yeah. So that's really fascinating. Like, oh man. So how far we've come (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you identify and cultivate the resources to support your ambitions, both in your professional life and in your personal life too? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's processes, right? And like knowing what you need, when you need it, being able to put in the guardrails for that. 
I recently was on the Juices podcast and talked about how there's so much stuff out there that tries to kill your creativity and block your time and suck out like the life of you essentially. And if you don't put in guardrails to protect the time you need to get the things done that you need to get done, in that instance, it was like having time to be creative. But in this instance, it could be, well, I have a goal of X, Y, Z, or I have a dream to be X, Y, Z. And if you don't put in the guardrails to do the things you need to do to get there, then like you're never going to get there. Like one of the things is um, I've been kind of lagging and going to the gym lately, Um, got sick at one point. It just threw me off my schedule. And then it was just like downhill from there. And you just have to get yourself to do it. And there's that, you know, sweet spot. And I think for everyone, it's probably a little different. I know there's science out there of like, you need to do a habit for, or an action for X, Y, Z days. And then it comes a habit. I think it's different for everyone in every facet. Like, you know, um, going to the gym is a very different habit than like a huge life change or something, you know. But for me, I just finally had to get in the mindset. I had to reiterate to myself the value of that because like it's really easy in this instance in the story to sleep in and be comfortable and just use your alarm which is what I was doing but once I was able to really like get in my head and think about like how much would this benefit outweigh the cost right the cost is losing out on 30 minutes extra of sleep um but the benefits in that situation are I wake up and get it out of the way I have the energy to do it I feel better the rest of my day, like my health overall is better. So I think a lot of it is just doing processing like that and then putting processes in place that can enable you to do that. I know this is a really simple explanation, but it just seems to be the most relevant across all listeners and audiences. So for instance, on this, it's having my alarm set all the days that I know I'm going to go to the gym. It's putting my clothes out the day before. It's knowing what my morning routine is. So like I get up, I put my clothes on, I stretch, I make my coffee, I get my son up, right? And like, if I have that set up and I have that in place, then that's going to excel me to be able to do this easier every day. And it becomes more of just a habit and ingrained habit versus like me having to actually think about like doing this thing and going through with it. And, and then as far as like, how do you set yourself up for success and how do you actually enable this, you know, in my personal side of my life, one thing that has played a huge role in all that I'm able to do. And I talk about this a lot is that I have a husband who enables me to do all these things. So he enables me to be able to go out and be part of a board and have evening meetings or doing networking events and things like that. And of course, there's going to be seasonality to that. And for some people, it may not ever exist because what if your husband travels 90% of the year, right? Or your wife travels 90% of the year then you're going to have situations where you either need to give and take there or you need to find other solutions. You know, can you afford a babysitter? Can you have some kind of nanny or like, you know, there are things you need to figure out. And of course, there's always the asterisk of time, money, resources, health, like all the things that play into that. But if you are trying to put in the processes in place that can enable you to achieve all those things to the feasibility that you can, like there's no reason to not try to do it, right? And if something doesn't work out, you can just pivot and figure it out. Right now I'm in the nightmare that I've lost all my babysitters because one moved to Arizona and one went back to college. And so trying to like figure out how can I build back up this part of my life so then I can have the accessibility I need to achieve the things I want to do outside of my life. 
And, you know, I love my child and I love hanging out with my child, but sometimes mama's got to go and do things without my child when my husband's busy. So <laughs> <laughs> beautifully put, definitely. Uh, along with parenthood and things like that, many people believe that achieving work-life balance is impossible, which I might agree with. So how do you maintain a healthy harmony between your career and personal life? I think for me, I might be a magical unicorn that I just have really strict boundaries, right? Like I, and I've always been this way, always, always been this way. Even back to my days at Redstone Federal Credit Union when I was young and in my like early twenties, but you know, just having the boundaries that keep your time at work protected and your time at home protected. And I say your time at work protected because so many of us now are working from our homes. And so it can be so hard to disengage the two parts of your life. Um, and so for me, I've been very strategic of, I don't have Slack alerts on my cell phone. I've never put my work email on my personal cell phone. Like if I worked somewhere where I had like a work phone, which I have never been in a situation like that, but I know lots of people, multiple cell phones, it's kind of weird to me, but whatever. Um, but you know, I've never put my work email on my cell phone. I am very structured of, you know, I get paid to work X amount of hours. And if I don't get done, what is expected of me in those hours, then either I need to change something or something at the organization needs to change or a mix of the both. Right. So just always trying to be very clear of my boundaries of how I best use my time. And one thing that has really been a game changer for me is knowing when I am high in my energy and when I'm low in my energy and arranging my calendar to go along with that. Um, for some women, this might actually go along with like your cycles and your health and things like that, because your energy is going to be impacted by that. For me, I know I'm most creative. I'm most productive in the mornings, even though like I'm not a morning person, it's kind of bizarre, but um, for me, if I have heavy writing to do, heavy editing to do, creative things I need to get done, ideation, things like that, I need a book in the morning because by the time like three o'clock rolls around, like I'm going to be kind of useless in those areas. So I think being able to understand your energy, where you give energy, what takes your energy, that can really set you up for success as far as being able to create the days that are the best for you and ensuring that like you're not extending your days into, you know, 10 hour days and you're working like crazy hours and things are like chaotic and out of control and things like that. I think we could all take a page out of that book. It's good that you have that innately in you that you've been, you know, able to be a boundary setter from the beginning. I think unlearning a lot of the habits of not doing that is a lot more difficult. And I am speaking from experience here, but do you ever have any naysayers who doubt your possibility of achieving all of your dreams while maintaining your busy life? And how do you handle that? I don't know if necessarily naysayers would be the way to put it, but I think it's one of those things where it's always about context, right? It's about context of the whole entire story. So for me, like I am in a position where I have a very supportive husband. I have a two-year-old child, but only one child. So that's a factor. You know, I have a job that enables me to have flexibility and to be able to craft my schedule the way I need to be able to get my work done when I need it, but take the time off that I need that's necessary. So there's just a lot of factors that go into it, right? Like, I think it's kind of a loaded statement when you say like, you can have it all. And yes, I 
I like agree with that statement and I'm a proponent of that. And I love to talk to people about how they can have it all, but there's always that like asterisk and there's always that context and there's always that additional picture that needs to be painted because all of us are so multifaceted. All of us have so many different things going on and that impact our day-to-day and even going as far like going to get a little deep, but like my husband's a psychiatrist. So I think about a lot of these things too, of the traumas that have crafted us into the humans we are and what impact that has on our ability to have all the things we want to have and the work we need to do to overcome some of those things. So of course there, it's never just black and white, you know, and easy peasy lemon squeezy, you know, it's always complicated. It's always messy. Like we're humans. Um, and I think sometimes maybe my downfall is I make it seem like it's easy or I seem like it just happens or it is what it is and those kind of things. But if you dig just a little bit deeper, like it's complicated for all of us. And there are going to be times where like you can't have it all. And I have been there and I've been through that. And I know there'll be times in my life where that is also true. But I think when you look at the holistic picture, there are much more times where you can have it all versus like the times when you can't. Granted, again, a lot of things come into that. You go talk to like 2008 recession, Lindsay, different place, way different place. But I think again, like in that big picture, as long as you're doing your due diligence and you're trying and you're doing all that you can to put the resources in place you need, like you really can have it all. As a parent, what valuable learnings can you share with others who are trying to navigate a successful career in a family life? I know you shared a little bit about the help aspects, but maybe other things too. Any other tips that you might like to share there? Oh man, children, 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 children. I mean, I love being a mom. (laughs) It's something I have always dreamt about. And it's one of those things where innately in my soul, I knew I wanted to be a mom. But I think the thing I never realized is, A, you're never going to be comfortable, right? You have one thing figured out. And then all of a sudden the next day, your kid's a whole different human being. Like it's wild. Tell me about it. Oh God. (laughs) And it just keeps happening over and over again. And you're like, when is this going to stop? And then you're like, oh, it's never going to stop. It's always going to be this way (laughs) until maybe they're like 25. I don't know. Whatever we stabilize as humans and our brains fully developed. You have to ask your husband on that. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that that was a very surprising thing to me of like, you are never going to feel confident in your parenting. Like you're going to feel maybe like 95% of the way there some days, But just children are so quick to learn and adapt and change that like you just aren't ever going to have a full handle on it. And you have to be okay with that, right? And I think one big thing for me is just not picking every battle and not picking every fight. I mean, I have a two-year-old, like, you know, this is like the time where you find out what kind of person you are, what kind of human you are, like it's intense. But to me, it's just like knowing like what fights I'm willing to like fight and not physically fight. I would never put a hand on my child, but you know, like when am I going to tell him? No, like that's not how we do it or no, that's not appropriate or, you know, whatever. Or when you're just going to go with the flow, right? Like the other day he wanted two Nutri-Green bars, which in my heart, I'm like, it's probably not the most healthy thing, but you know what? It's not going to hurt him long-term. So yes, you can have a second Nutri-Green bar, you know, like it's fine. Um, So I think also knowing just when you need to push and when you need to pull back and it's hard and some days you're going to get it wrong. Like, 
you know, there was one day where we were trying to have him eat his food at his high chair and he just was not having it. And my husband was just like, no, if you want to eat, you want to eat your high chair. And it was like 20 minutes. And I finally, I was just like, we just, can we just, can we just do something else? Or like, this isn't working, obviously. Like we need to adapt. We need to try another strategy. And I would say the last thing is, is to find parents who are ahead of you. So that has been one thing that's hard for me is that many of my friends either do not have children or have children younger than me. So I'm kind of the first one, the guinea pig, you know, learning all the things and, which is fine. I love to tell people advice and share things and help others, but like, it can be hard because you don't realize like, One thing I talk about a lot is I remember I went to the children's museum with my friend Jordan and she had a six month old at the time I had, he was probably 15 or 16 months old. So her son is just chilling in his stroller, hanging out, you know, he can't walk yet. It's just lovely day. I mean, yeah, you know where this is going with that giggle. Uh, Meanwhile, my child is just running full fledged through the museum. Like I'm terrified I'm going to lose him or he's going to get snatched. And you know, it's just like pure chaos. And I just look over this other child in the stroller and like, man, why did I not appreciate those moments more? But you don't know what you don't know because you haven't been there, right? And so my biggest advice is find someone who, and and someone who's been there relatively close, right? Like we talked to our parents. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. You were sleeping about three days old. I was like, woman, no. (laughs) That's a very good point. (laughs) But finding someone within your similar timeframe who has a child who's a bit older. And, you know, I would say anywhere from like probably a year is a good starting point up to even two or three years. I'm going to get probably too far past that just because memories all confuddle. There are some things about miles when he was a baby. I I can't remember. And he's only two. So (laughs) it's a defense mechanism of the human mind (laughs) for real. So you'll do it again and you won't remember like all the things. (laughs) Oh man. That's, that's amazing. Um, I just wanted to take a quick moment to shout out the audience ops team for producing my show. They make it easy for me to focus on talking to fantastic people like Lindsay. And then they do all the production and they do all the social media creation of the assets. And I don't have to spend a lot of time doing that. I get to find time tracking down lovely people like Lindsay and, you know, spending time just interviewing them and having a good time. And if you need anybody to help you out with that, then audience ops is an amazing agency and you should definitely check them out. All right. Back to you, Lindsay. I want to touch a little bit on your nonprofit work. Um, You mentioned that you serve on a nonprofit board and that is not a path that a lot of people consider. What benefits have you experienced professionally by being part of that kind of an organization? Yeah, if I can give anyone advice and if I had one nugget, it would be like get on a nonprofit board because you will learn so much so quickly across so many different facets of business. It's wild. Um, And being on boards has changed my life in very many different ways. And I'm so passionate about this. I mean, I could probably talk to you for like five hours about this. So I'll try to keep it succinct. But for me, you know, of course there's that piece of altruism and doing good. And I am very driven by community and building my place where I live and where I work and where I contribute to. And that gives back to me in my life, but beyond just like that feel good moment and like supporting an organization close to you. I think it's also like how much you can get out of it as well. And some people might think like that sounds selfish, but like 
it's a two-way road, right? Like boards need to recruit people to be able to function and nonprofit organizations need board members to be able to up-level their profile, make connections, fundraise more, like all the things that go into a nonprofit. And at the same time, like that nonprofit can give you so much more back. So I've been on the boards of AAF in Alabama, of Make-A-Wish North Alabama, Junior League of Indianapolis, Uh, circular Indiana, like a lot of different organizations and broad organizations. And, um, one thing that I've realized from it is it's almost like a professional development boot camp. You learn how to talk to people. You learn how to present, you learn how to, which as a creative, this is huge. And anyone who else who is a creative, I learned to read budgets and financial statements. And like, that is massive. And if I ever wanted to move out of a very strictly creative or marketing centric role into more of a business role or even starting my own business, like the skills I have acquired from being a board member and making really important high level decisions around money and budgets and financials and hiring. I mean, that is worth like thousands of dollars, honestly, if you think about it. And you can go online and find trainings about, you know, how to read budgets, how to read read financial statements, how to fundraise money. People go to school and spend thousands of dollars to get credentials to be fundraisers. Like, you know, and those things are all good and valid and important, but this is a way to get a lot of the pieces of that for free. Like, yeah, of course, a lot of times, you know, obviously you need to be a donor of your organization because all good board members are stewards of their organization and grantees will judge you if you don't have a hundred percent board uh, contributions, but it's just been such a magical experience across all the boards I've been on of not only the experience I get but also the understanding of the scope of my neighborhoods, of my cities, of my state, of where the needs lie, especially like for junior leagues, especially because like that's a national international organization, right? So anyone listening now, you can probably find a junior league in your backyard. And the magic of those organizations is that they are very They have a structure that helps them run from like the top down, but they're able to specialize according to the needs and their, um, their backyards and their communities. And for instance, when I was on the board of junior league, I just rolled off, um, this past year, but when I was on the board, we went through our planning phase of changing our focus area. We pick a focus area from anywhere for three to five years that aligns all of our volunteering, our donations, our programming, our education, our advocacy, everything. And so we did a huge analysis of the leading problems within our communities, narrowed it down to a few, worked alongside the organizations here and our membership to decide where the greatest need was. And now for the next few years, we're going to be advocating and supporting children in foster foster care and kinship care. Um, and just being able to go through that process and acquire the skills and then also understand like what's happening in my city and where I can make a difference and the skill sets I bring, especially if you're a marketer, nonprofits are desperate for marketers. Let me say that again. Nonprofits are desperate for marketers. They need your support. They need your help. And coming back to that boundaries discussion and how I am able to do it all, one of my boundaries is I will only serve one nonprofit organization at a time in the capacity of marketing. I'll serve others in various ways and fashions and formats. But as far as being a marketer, 
I will only serve one at a time because baby, I'm spending so much time of my day-to-day work life as a marketer that I cannot wear that hat outside that for more than just one org. So again, bringing it kind of back into our earlier conversation of how I set myself up to do it all. That is one thing that I have found that really is helpful because I have seen a lot of marketers take on way too much with a nonprofit org and just be like so burnt out and so over it. And then it degrades and, you know, the whole snowball effect and all that. But I will say if there's one thing that you can do differently in the next year, if you haven't served on a board, like start looking into it. And the best outcome will be to find an org that aligns with things that you're passionate about and that spark your energy again, like give you energy, don't take from it. And for some people, if you're a high empath like me, there are some areas that you are probably going to need to stay away from because it's too, it's too hard, right? It's too deep. It's too emotional, too heavy. There's a reason my husband's a psychiatrist and I am not right. Like I am just not suited for those kind of things. Um, but I think once you get an understanding of that, you will be able to find, and there are so many nonprofits in your own backyard that you probably don't even know exist. And so you might think you have a very niche, weird passion or something like there's not going to be something related to this. I bet you there is. Did you hear that marketers? You need to check this out. I mean, I need to check this out. Apparently I have not done this before and I think it might be a good thing for me to look into. Thank you for that. I can tell how passionate you were about it and it makes my heart happy, honestly. Um, and, and I will say too, I'm always happy to chat with people just to find the match between your skill sets and your passions and a nonprofit that might need your support. Um, because that really is something that I adore and love. And like, I, that'll get me jazzed any day of the week. So feel free to reach out and connect about that too. I think people need to take you up on that. Can you talk to me about how you keep your creative juices going? Oh yeah. Again, you know, protecting yourself, uh, that it is one of the hardest things to do because being creative is so subjective and being creative takes so much space. Um, and some people might think that being creative is a waste of time as well. Um, <laughs> won't dive too deep there, but I think for me, it's again, knowing my energy levels, knowing what gives me energy, what takes away from my energy, what does spark my creativity and not being afraid to block 30 minutes, block an hour and just be able to think and breathe and research and look and fall through rabbit holes. Cause that's when the best things are going to come up. And I think one thing for me too, is you also don't know when your creativity is going to spark. And I will tell you as organized and type A as I am, if you dig into my iPhone, it is like a chaotic creative mess. I have like notes here and vo- voice notes here and like random post-its here. And like, it's chaos. But the thing I have figured out is like, if I get a spark, if I'm on a roll, like you just need to go with it. Doesn't matter if you're driving, like, okay, be safe y'all. Okay. This is a bad example of like when you're driving, but like, that's when I'll take out my voice notes and just click record. And then I'll just start talking. Right. And I think so many of us will be in a moment and be like, oh, I gotta get this done. I got this done. And something pops up and you're like, oh, I'll get to it later. You're never going to get to it. I have made that realization. It's going to die in your brain. You'll think about it five years from now. You'll be like, what in the hell is happening? But it's just being able to capture those moments. And of course, sometimes it's going to be hard because you really are going to be in something important or you're going to be very focused on something else. But some of my best content and some of my best ideas have been sporadic things just that are sparked from something else. And I've given myself the space to capture it in that moment. 
And you definitely need to have enough context for it to make sense. Cause definitely if you go through my notes, some of it is like, I don't even know what I was talking about. So I'm trying to get better about that and have enough context for later Lindsay to understand past Lindsay, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes it's hard. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a mix of giving yourself the freedom to be creative, protecting your time to allow yourself to have that because like I talked to, you know, on the juice, like everything is trying to kill your creativity, the way that we are built, the way that we function, the way we work, it all stifles that creativity. So it's about that equal part of like protecting your time and making room for creativity, but also knowing there are going to be some really like honestly random ass times where all of a sudden you get a spark, you get an idea and you just got to go like, and just let yourself go because it can be like, Oh, I'll get back to that later. But you, you won't. <laughs> It's like when you when you think about a dream and you wake up in the middle of the night and you want to remember it and you wake up later, it's gone. Yes. Or a nightmare even, actually. Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it happens to me all the time too. If I don't jot it down, it's gone. 100%. 100% of the time. Um, can you talk to me about any times you had to make tough choices to achieve goals because of bandwidth and juggling all these things that you want to get done? Yeah, I think the biggest one for me is the balance of motherhood and being a career-driven individual and knowing that you have to find balance there. And some people argue that balance isn't a real thing. You're never going to find balance and, you know, all those things. But um, for me, it's the realization that I just need to understand that you know, it makes me think about that meme or that, that comment of like the only person who will remember you worked late at night are your kids. And like that, just like, yeah, that face that hits me real hard. And I have to sometimes remind myself that because it can get easy to get lost in what you're trying to achieve, especially if you're like the best thing and the worst thing about me is my ambition. Let me tell you. And there are days where I can get lost in that. And I can not see that like, oh, well, maybe you've been gone from home a little bit too much the past week, you know, and it's, it's just things that happen over time that you just have to get a pulse on and you have to keep, because even though my husband doesn't do a lot of things after hours and he does have the flexibility to be home a lot of time, doesn't mean I should be gone every single night. Right. Not saying I am, but there have definitely been a few weeks where my husband has been like, you've been gone a lot. And I'm like, oh yeah, I have been gone a lot. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> You know, and so just like being able to just keep that in the back of my mind. And one big piece of the having it all mantra is that within that you have priorities and there are always going to be priorities that beat out other things. And I have to always remember like my priority is my family because like when you like watch movies, when you talk to your friends, when you're in conversations, like how often are you talking about work? Like really? Like not a lot. There are friends I have. I was laughing about this at a wedding the other day. I was sitting at a wedding. We're with friends we have known for like five years. And like one of them was like, oh yeah, remind me what you do to my other friend. And I was like, y'all, we've known each other for like five years. And like, we honestly don't even have context of like what we do professionally. It was just kind of a weird moment. But that gives me that like check of like, Sometimes we get so hung up in our title and where we work and what we do. And those things are important. And that does bring people value and it delivers a lot in your life. But you have to remember it's only such a little 
facet of your life. And like, it's only one little piece of that big old puzzle and just keep that in perspective. Right. And there are going to be times you're going to have to make really difficult choices, whether it's for your family, whether it's for your career, whether it's for your job, like going into like tougher moments. I mean, when I agreed to like get married to my husband, I knew I was going to have to uproot my life multiple times because my husband's a doctor. I met him in med school. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation of being a spouse of someone in med school. Um, but I knew when I met him and when I moved, cause we met when I lived in Missouri, he lived in Alabama. I knew when I moved to Alabama, you're about to go through some probably of the hardest times in your life because I had our uproot every six months, every two years, every whatever cadence we were on. And that's really hard. If you are someone who is so dedicated to achieving things and doing things and being someone, but you have to realize again, what's the greater priority. Right. And I knew like he was the one, like he was it. He was the one He was my soulmate and I would do anything to make this work. And so at that point in my time, I just had to realize like, oh, as much as I would have loved to stay at Redstone Federal Credit Union. And I knew that they would support me and getting to whatever level in their org I wanted to, I couldn't attach to that dream because there was no way we could stay in Huntsville with what my husband does. So there's going to be times where there are going to be situations where you just can't do what you want to do, but you're just going to have to find the other avenues that will fulfill that kind of gaping hole that then opens up from that situation. Um, I think luckily at the end of the day, I'm an optimist and I think it always works out the way it needs to in the moment you might feel like shit and you're like, I can't even see like a pin of light. And it seems like there's no opportunity and there's no end in sight, but the way my life has worked out, like everything happens for a reason. You're probably not going to know when it's happening, but once it's done, like you will understand and you will see. Um, and so just having like faith in that, and I'm not much of like a religious person in that aspect, but just knowing like things will work out and you just have to be able to pivot and adapt and stay true to like, what is a priority to you and not back down, which is hard sometimes, but how do you handle moments of self-doubt when you're chasing after your ambition and your goals? Oh, I have a really like relevant one that's happening right now. Like YouTube, like one of my <laughs> big goals <laughs> sounds real stupid in that one statement, but stay with me. So one of my big goals coming in a gold cast is to optimize our YouTube channel. Like YouTube is such an untapped resource, especially because we have ran three different ongoing series across the last two years. We have so much content that we could optimize and use over there as another distribution channel. And so, you know, coming in, I was like, oh, this is going to be something I achieve in Q4. And this is going to be something that is part of like my strategy. Well, I tried to do a test upload yesterday and I just ran into so many issues and problems. And if you want to help me go over to my LinkedIn and read my posts I put up today, cause y'all like, you know, you just go into and you're like, Oh, this can't be that hard. So many people are doing stuff on YouTube and it's such a thing. And then I got in there and I was like, am I stupid? Like what is <laughs> happening? Um, so yeah, you know, sometimes you just like go into situations and you think it's going to be easy peasy. And then you get in there and you're like, did I like totally misread this or like, am I dumb? Am I missing something? And like, I will tell you at the, I spent like way more time than I should have. And I was like, this is, this is crazy. Like what is happening? Like, like, again, is something wrong with me? Like, am I the dumb one? Like, you know, and it can be really easy in those moments to feel defeated and be like, 
well, fuck this, you know, like not going to go down this road. This is silly. Um, or you can be like, okay, I feel like crap. I'm going to walk away for a little bit. I'm going to give myself some breather. And then you know what? I'm going to try again, right? Like my son loves Thomas the train, you know, try, try again, kind of jams and which I'm a believer. And again, like you're not going to be perfect the first time in. And I think especially as women, like we feel that hard. We think we need to go in. We need to do it great. We need to kill it. We need to just knock it out of the park. Like we should be able to do it without any assistance, any help. Like I got this. And it's hard when you go into it, especially things that seem easy, like putting a video and optimizing it on YouTube seemed easy to me. Um, <laughs> but in those moments, you know, you have, you get your, your feelings, you feel it and you're like, oh, that's kind of sucks. But then you just need to be able to strategize of like, where do I go now? So I gave myself the afternoon of like, let's just walk away from this. We'll save the project. I might share with some colleagues like, hey, take a look at what I did at least get done. I know some things are missing. Um, But for me, then I was like, okay, well, what are my next steps? Well, my next steps are Google shit out of it. Like we all do nowadays, uh, find some really good articles from trusted sources to help me troubleshoot some of the areas I'm, I'm hitting issues with. And then like one of the beauties of like LinkedIn today is it's such a resource for finding people who are willing to help you. And like, you can't be afraid to ask for help because if you don't, you're never going to get it. And you're just going to like continue spiraling and it's just ugly and messy and gross. And your self-confidence will continue to like domino down with that too. And so, you know what I did this morning? I got on LinkedIn was like, Hey, y'all thought this was going to be easy. It's not. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't know what's happening, but someone helped me essentially was like the gist of my post. And you know what? Like people have hopped on and been like, oh my gosh, let's chat. Or like, oh, here's some like things you should look into. And like, it's, and I think it's also a fatal flaw of women in general of just, we don't want to ask for help because in a stereotypical way, so many people see us as vulnerable and helpless and all these things. And it's up to us to realize like, no, like asking for help is actually a very productive and smart thing to do. And it's not going to change people's perspective of you. If anything, they're going to find you more human and more relatable. And that's like what we're all going for nowadays, I think. So I think that's kind of like a silly answer to your question, but it's like a relevant one I'm thinking about. (laughs) Oh, definitely. How do you bring your ideologies, especially now as a content leader to your team? Oh, my ideologies. Um, I think just being able to, oh God, this sounds really cheesy, but being myself, you know, like I think one thing that's really nice about being the age I am and being in the career I am and the place I am is I have had time to realize that the things that are innately me and built into me are my strengths um, and, and are the things that make me stand out and make me successful. So not being afraid of my high energy, not being afraid of my type anus, not being afraid of my ability to be a little bit more outspoken or have thoughts, have opinions and leaning into those things and not feeling like I have to play them down because I'm a woman. Uh, Oh, I get real deep here, getting, getting heavy, but I think so often we feel like we are minuscule or we are lesser or we are not heard and seen and taken um, at face value. And what's even harder for me that I've learned is like, 
I am an emotional person. I just am. That's who I am. I'm a crier. I'm a feeler. I'm an empath. And like, it can be really detrimental to me. Sometimes it can be really hard and really difficult. But I think the thing that I've realized, especially at my time at my last org, because we had such a great culture that allowed me to be who I am and be like very authentic to who I am. They gave me the power to feel that my crying was powerful, which is like a whole huge mind shift from everything we're taught about like, you shouldn't show emotions in the boardroom. You shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't feel things in a business meeting and you shouldn't be, you know, emotional. You shouldn't let anyone see you cry. And like all these things, I think that have been built into our society and our dialect and our feelings and our interpretations and being able to be okay with the fact that like, you know what? I am emotional. I am a crier and I'm going to lean into it. And of course, there's definitely times where it isn't appropriate for those things. You know, again, the asterisk, right? There's always like the context <laughs> and, and the things like that. But in general, I think things that sometimes could be seen as a flaw or reworking against me, I've been able to realize that, oh, I can actually position this as a strength and this can actually level me up and can actually make me more unique or more attractive as a prospect or, you know, whatever I'm trying to do or go after or things like that. And just knowing where I can use those skill sets and that I don't have to suppress them. I don't have to hide them. I don't have to push them down or push them away. Um, it's been really empowering. And I think it takes people a lot of time to get to this point. I mean, it took me a lot, a lot of time. I can remember at one job, I mean, I would never, ever in a million years let anyone see me cry. Um, and being a crier is very hard. You have to be very strategic. Like, oh, I love my nose in the bathroom. Oh, I see you. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's fascinating to get to a point where the things that you once saw as flaws or fatal errors can be strengths. Um, and it just kind of makes me think I'm going to go pop culture. Sorry, I can't not bring up Barbie because of the times. But it just makes me think of, her monologue when she's talking about all the expectations that women are set and you can't win because you're supposed to be this, but if you are this, then blah, 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 you know, and it's just like this pressure and this, this, these expectations. But once you hit those expectations, not only like, is it like, a, ugh, but like, there's another expectation above that. Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes you, you can just feel like you're set up to fail no matter what. And it's just realizing that we are, this is going to sound cheesy too, but like, we are all worthwhile. We are all beautiful in our own ways. We all have our own strengths and coming back to that, achieving it all. Once you are able to take the time to self-reflect and know how those unique pieces of you can set you up to be able to achieve those things. Like that's when you're going to unlock that beauty. That's when you're going to unlock your spark and it's going to look different for everybody. Right. But just thinking about all the things, especially as women that are ingrained in us to believe and think and feel like it does give me a lot of hope to look around at women my age and younger and like the things that we're doing differently. And, you know, I talked to my mom and my mom is 75. So a very different generation, a very different culture. And some of the things she has lived through and, and just been told and, been pushed out of or into like it's wild but it gives me hope that the things that she has lived through I will never have to live through 
and knowing that some of the work like we're doing today is going to set up like our future daughters for even more success and being able to achieve even more. I mean, that just gives me a little bit of a inspiration and hope. And I know it's a little bit of tangent, but you know, I feel like it was all worthwhile. That was a beautiful tangent. Thank you for think. I mean, I feel like I could have made another episode just talking about this and I loved every minute of it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I do end every podcast asking my guests to debunk an unpopular opinion. And I would love to hear your take on this. This isn't my original take, so I'm not going to take credit for it, but I saw a really funny and I wish I could remember who posted it. So if it's you and we're connected on LinkedIn, let me know so we can edit this and add your credit. But someone had posted a really funny post talking about how like, you know, a lot of people talk about like email is dead, but like who's actually saying email is dead? And I was like, oh, I mean, you know, that's really funny because it's one of those things where it's always used as like the opposite, right? Like that's the, the clickbait headline to like, oh, but it's not dead. And these are all the reasons why it's not dead. But like, is anyone really saying email is dead? Like, <laughs> where are these people? Um, so I think that's just like a funny one that, you know, you and I had been talking about of just like, are people actually saying email is dead or is it all just like this um, propaganda by email people? Like, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, it's crazy. I, I can't actually recall anybody now that I'm thinking about it, just blatantly email is dead. The end. It all has been people arguing that email is not actually dead. Oh, it's, it's a very good point. And it's I wonder how good. many other viewpoints that we're doing that with. Like that maybe they're not being talked about that way. We're just using them for a hook. Right? Like it seems like a good history project. Like where did this originate from? And like, has anyone actually legitimately said this statement and believed it, you know? <laughs> and who, and if that individual is actually not using their email at all for anything, like I find that highly unlikely especially because if you're using online bill pay or anything else, you have to check, check at least for that. Like, I don't think you could actually kill email in our modern internet universe, but I know. And I, and then a sub question to that, like, but what is the next frontier after email? Right. I remember in like 2016, 2017, everyone thought like SMS was going to be the next thing. And like, oh, you know, a lot more orgs are going to be texting their, you know, uh, customers and prospects. And, you know, it's going to be all about like direct messaging. And, um, and then that just did not take off. So I don't know. What is after email? Is anything after email? Who knows? I don't know. Okay. Now that's a take that we can get behind. The next email, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> to be continued. Well, where can people go if they want to find more of you? Yeah. So I'm most active on LinkedIn. So Lindsay McGuire is my name. And if you just heard Lizzie McGuire, it's fine. It's the story of my life. I embrace it. That's fine. And then if you are a marketer and looking for a new show to add into your uh, listening list, um, I'm actually launching a new show with Goldcast on September 19th called Donuts and Demand. It'll be a monthly show on the second Tuesday of every month. Our first episode launches with Chris Walker of Refine Labs and LaShonda Jackson of Intuit MailChimp. Going to be a great time. And it is your opportunity to grab a donut, take a break, 
and learn some great demand gen skills, tips, and tricks. So I hope everyone can join me again. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, message me. I'm always an open book. Would love to find you a nonprofit to support in any way, shape, form, or capacity. Um, and then if you are local in Indianapolis area, I always love making friends in real life. So I love that your lineup um, for the new show is kicking off that powerfully. <laughs> oh, you can tell yeah. it's going to be a good show. Just it's based gonna off be of that. Good. And the well, marketing's sassy and cute and I'm here for it. So I, it I am looking forward to it. Thank you for letting me know. Okay. Well, I loved having you on the show. You were amazing. Thank you again. And I look forward to you continuing to be in touch with you. Yeah, it's great chat, Ashley. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Unpopular Opinion. This episode was produced by Audience Ops. If you're looking for help launching a podcast, Audience Ops handles all the legwork so you can focus on providing the subject matter expertise. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow Ashley's show on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube.